The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, and welcome once again to Afternoons with Mike here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Each and every day, it's my opportunity to be here in the studio talking to someone who is doing something in the community, something of interest, and something that has an impact on the gospel of Jesus. And today I have a friend that has been on my program a couple of times, albeit not since the COVID pandemic, when uh, we were under protocols and I was sitting in one room and he was in the other, but we made it happen anyway. Michael Strasser is the Associate Professor of Communications at UCF, and it is great to have you back up here, my friend. Hey, Mike. Thanks so much. Yeah, I was on my drive over. I was trying to think about everything that's changed since you and I last talked. I've gotten and, a lot older. Well, well me too. So uh, we survived a global pandemic. Yes, we did. Eggs are thirteen ninety nine a dozen. Wow. And uh, no, they really aren't. But it's, no, it's it pretty feels close. that way. Feels that way. And the Strausers have had two kids since. What? So we are now up to five. Oh, my word. So, Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank my you. My goodness, your wife's been very busy. Yeah, exceptionally. She's a saint. Yeah. I, I equate my life to a mix of, it's a combination between the movie Groundhog Day and an episode of ER, where everything <laughs> is, there's just a sense of urgency happening all the time, but every day literally looks exactly the same. It's but a we're, deja we're really vu moment there. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's it. Oh, so. that's just great, Mike. Yeah, I, I remember that those days. And what I what I do remember when I think back was that sense that all of us had of like, we don't know where what's going to happen here. That's we right. don't know uh, what's going to happen, let's say, in our, our culture, mm -hmm. because the, you, restaurants were shutting down because they, they couldn't even really make it. And we all know we're still feeling the impact from the loss of workforce. We are. You know, and I, I think there's there's some really interesting... There, there's a really interesting transition that's happened. So I, I remember, you know, in the midst of COVID, at the very beginning, we were wiping down our packages. Yeah. You know, we, we weren't going to store. We were doing Instacart for all of our deliveries. And then, you know, gradually you just kind of get used to, you know, what is considered the new normal. But but one really interesting thing that we're seeing now that workplaces are saying, at least in terms of, of new employees, is that they're really finally starting to see ramifications of, you know, what happened when we, when we kind of went dark and went virtual. Yeah. So a lot of HR... Professionals are saying, hey, we're getting new hires that have no clue how to talk to people. And this is it's not a you know get off my lawn argument of of my 22 year olds have never known how to talk to people. But it's it's legitimate where they're looking at that going. They don't know how to handle conflict. They don't know how to have a conversation. They don't know how to shake a hand because everything that they've done right. has been online. Yeah. So it, it, it has. It's changed the workforce. You know, you've we, we just see constant increased numbers of remote workers. Uh, so it, it, it's had a substantial change on, on kind of everything that we've done. You know, the paradox of the age is this thing that you look at social media and mm -hmm. they call your network friends. Right. Or a, a lot of them do. Uh, Facebook. Let's just go ahead and get that out there. Facebook friend. Right. And so we have, you know, I've got over a thousand Facebook friends on yeah. my one account that I hardly ever add anybody new sure. to because that's the wild west out there right now for scammers and for people that put out clone websites and clone accounts that's right so i've got way if you have by the way friends if you've sent me a facebook request and i've not answered please don't take it personally i just don't look at facebook much anymore uh because of all of that well but, i've seen your business card it says mike gillen over 1,000 Facebook friends. So don't, don't let, don't let him, you know, trick you, make you think well, my, that he's not proud of it. Yeah, no, no, that's not true, Michael. Now, what is, what is the ironic thing about that? Calling them friends and mm -hmm. saying, here is my network and here's who I'm connected to that's with right. all of these terminologies. The truth is we are one of them at one of the most unconnected times where we all know like what, what you were saying a while ago, this virtual life mm -hmm. leaves one secluded, yeah. uh, kind of sheltered and walled up from other people. And those important skills, what are real true social skills right. are lost. Yeah, everything's been, 
everything's been confused. And and one of my one of my favorite TV shows ever is The Office. And there's oh, an episode yeah. there's an episode of The Office where Dwight uh, plays a game called Second Life, and he creates an online <laughs> avatar, and it's a virtual world. But then he creates a second Second Life avatar because he says his life is so good he needs to have multiple virtual realities. <laughs> And we can look back on that now and laugh. Yes. And and today, though, I'm looking at it going, oh, my goodness, like we're, we're kind of there where we're, we're seeing yeah. these virtual communities, virtual realities that have that for many have transcended their their actual reality. Yeah. And it impacts relationships. I think it impacts our perception of humanity in general, like what makes us human? How do yeah. we define relationships today? It's it's distorted, I think, especially even compared to what we are called to do in scripture with the one another. It's like, what is that supposed to look like yeah. online when you never see your Facebook friends? You never see them. You're never really there. That's right. You don't get the feedback that happens when you're face to face and you're needing to stand either uh, in a crowd, if you're going to be one who talks to people or if you're one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. in an office scenario, if you are only used to seeing that virtual representation and you hide behind your, your computer <laughs> monitor, uh, it, it's a, it's an overwhelming thing. Mm -hmm. And another area, and I know you have to deal with this, I'm sure, is the fact that a lot of people are not trained. A lot of young people are not trained in study. They're not trained in research. Mm -hmm. There are only one answer to finding out of something they don't know is to go to Google. That's right. And, and I think a lot of the role of the educator has changed to information literacy. Because the reality is you are bombarded constantly with information that is not accurate from all from from many different sources. Right. Yeah. And so how do you actually step back and go, well, what is what is true? <laughs> like what is what is uh, not biased and slanted in some capacity and what's actually going on? And it's really hard. It's hard to train that. Yeah. You know, it's hard even when you know what's going on. It's hard to find sources where you can rely on that and, and really kind of step back and go, I just want to I just want to know the news. Yeah. I, I don't want an opinion on it. I literally just want to know what's happening. It's tough to find today. It is tough to find. And I know you work with people there at UCF. One of them is a good friend of mine, Rick Brunson. Yeah, I know you, great. he's a professor out there as well and teaches journalism. You're in communications. Uh, I know that you guys are coming over this kind of scenario. And my question here kind of in, in this line would be, when you look at what's happening today, and let's say what's happened since the pandemic, where we are in terms of trending or where we're projected to go. What are you seeing? Is it a positive trajectory or are you concerned? Uh, in terms of what? <laughs> in my, terms of, in terms of people. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me just get specific in terms of how uh, our culture is going to, let's say, survive the moment. Our workforce. Yeah. Are you, are you optimistic about the workforce that's coming out of college? Because that's what right. college professors do. I mean, yeah. you're training people to go into the work world. That's right. With a job, with a with an education. Mm -hmm. uh, are you are you optimistic, uh, or are you a bit concerned? So I think it's a little bit of both, and and I think that it's important to remember that we've seen issues before like this so it's it's not you know in some ways what we're experiencing is is blatantly unique but there's also nothing new under the sun so we've dealt right. with this before i i think where i'm encouraged is that in terms of technical skill a lot of my students can do things not only that that i could never do but even but if i tried would take me hours and hours upon weeks to try to figure out what what's going on and so there there is an innate kind of digital perspective there where they, they kind of step back and they, they have a, a set of technical skills, I think, that are you know somewhat common to them just because of the world that they've grown up in. The flip side, though, is that it's concerning when you're now seeing a lot of other outlets that can perform these technical skills. So, you know, AI, chat GPT, mm -hmm. a lot of things that, you know, that we're seeing. And, and now I'm looking at my students saying, OK, well, it's not just enough that you can do this. Like if you actually want to do well and get promoted and get a raise and do all of these different things, like you have to know how to talk to people and you have to be winsome and you have to work hard and you have to be professional. Yeah. And I think that's part of where the disconnect has happened. So, but again, it's, it's nothing new, but I, I think that there is a reality there where it, it's different today just because of expectations of everyone involved. So I'm, I'm encouraged because I think that they are capable of a lot more probably than they think they are. 
but I am discouraged because I, I definitely see some trends in terms of just relationship building and interaction and connection that that I didn't necessarily have to worry about even five years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, the big buzz that we're all hearing about on news and even some officials uh, exhibiting, maybe even the people who put this technology together, that's called AI. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned it already, chat GTP. Now, this is something that's being talked about a lot. Uh, it was the subject matter for the first segment of Al Mohler's briefing on mm -hmm, Friday, mm -hmm. and he talked about it and how that artificial intelligence is not the same as natural intelligence. It's not human intelligence. Right. But I, I would wonder, as a professor in a college, what do you have to think about? What do you have to prepare your students for regarding this uh, new technology? Well, I, I'll say this about my teaching. So I, I think it's it's good. I want my students to know this. Mama didn't raise no fool. So what I mean by that is like there's, you know, I've been using chat GPT since it came out and I actually pay monthly for the chat GPT 4.0 and because it helped, it legitimately helps me with projects. And, and I think it's important with chat to remember, I, you know, I, I'm sure some people would disagree with me. I'm not an expert on this, but I would not consider chat GPT itself to be artificial intelligence. So it, it is, it's an algorithm. It's mm -hmm. an information collector and distributor. So in many ways, it's it's almost like Google on hyperdrive compared to something that would be creating a video or, you know, even replicating a radio show. So it, it's a little bit different for me. But because I've been using ChatGPT, I know what it like. I know I know its tone in many cases. I understand its format. And I've, I've got now my students who will submit stuff to me that I sit there and go. And like, really? Come on. I, I know this is chat. this is chat. Yeah. Now, it's harder to prove it. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of our software that we use to tell whether or not students are cheating doesn't necessarily recognize chat GPT language. So you can't necessarily go, all right, hey, this, you're cheating, <laughs> even though I know it. But I, I think that it's changed how I view assignments so they become more authentic. So more real life situations, real life experiences where they can't just regurgitate information and instead have to do some actual reflection or have mm -hmm. to actually perform something or do something. So it's I think it's really changed how I how I kind of approach knowledge in the classroom because they can just search and regurgitate information back yeah. to me. But is is that the goal? Yeah. Right? You know, when you think about writers and plagiarism, mm -hmm. uh, that's always been a uh, real hot spot for trouble for anyone who's ever written a paper. Mm -hmm. And if you're caught, if you're a professional, and there have been people even this last uh, couple of years, high high profile people accused of plagiarizing other people. Uh, this GPT, I mean, chat, chat is all about in one sense. It, it's finding that information or the buzz phrases that this uh, network of uh, artificial intelligence sources uh, that greatly is pulling from the internet, like you said earlier. Yeah, and yeah. then it puts it down there. I mean, that's the amazing thing about ChatGPT is the way that you can give a few little directive uh, phrases or a, a mission, and it will turn around and spit out, you know, a page of Anything information instantaneously. Yeah. So I, I did. You'll appreciate this. I did a little social thought experiment yesterday. So the only the only social media that I have is LinkedIn, and I say that somewhat proudly because. That's, that's something to I'd, be I'd, proud of. Yeah, I don't have a Facebook, I don't have an Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's a dark hole where you can just kind of get all of these different things. Yeah. But, I ha but I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And so yesterday I made a post because I, you know, in addition to my, my professor duties, I also do training and consulting. And one of the things that I do is I try to repurpose content for online courses or for eBooks. So as part of my role, I, I kind of help faculty think about teaching and so I, I was going to write just a little quick ebook on kind of best practices for incorporating chat GPT in the classroom. So instead of me writing it, I actually had chat GPT write it. Oh, and man. I uh, and I included a, a checklist and all these different things and, and put it in the exact same format that I do all of my other ebooks, posted it to LinkedIn, didn't put a charge on it because I didn't write it like I didn't feel ethically comfortable yeah, doing right, that, but it was right. free. And uh, it was really interesting. Got a, got a lot of really uh, really unique response. I, I think that, and it was good. Like I did some minor editing to it, but in terms of the actual content it spit out, I mean, I'm, I would have had some differences in terms of how I would have said something or what I would have said, but 
I was it was not bad. And and that's a little bit scary too, to where you're looking yeah. at it going, well, what's my role now? Because yeah. this thing did this in, you know, less than three seconds. I think for me, when I hear this kind of thing, and especially in the context of talking about kids who are learning yeah. and kind of growing in their field of expertise, what is it going to do down the road? when we are so dependent upon these kind of machines, if you will. I mean, it's it's rather uh, dystopian it, in, in some ways. I mean, you're thinking about all the movies that are out there, mm-hmm. apocalyptic movies about post-destruction of America, and you, you hear all these things, and the machines are in control. It's like the Matrix. Uh, holy cow, I mean, we are in one way seeing a potential in our culture where people are being so dependent on these kind of sources that are they learning the needed skills, human skills that will cause us to be sustainable? Human skills, I think is a great way to put that because in my world, unfortunately we call communication skills, soft skills. And I hate that. I I think they're human skills. I think that's a, I think that's a really wise perspective. You know, historically, I think it's important to note again, nothing new under the sun, right? right? So, so they were having the same arguments in the industrial revolution. We had the same arguments when Google first came out. Are, are we going to be so dependent upon this? What I think is missing today, and this is why, you know, I'm, so I mentioned earlier we have five kids, and we have many reasons why we homeschool. But one of the reasons why we homeschool is because we want them to have a well-rounded education. And so just this week, uh, you know, and I, my oldest is nine down to an almost one-year-old. But just this week, they you know, did their piano lessons. They did composer study. They did a drawing lesson. They were reading materials and books legitimately, Mike, that I would not have been reading in high school, mm-hmm. like, and, and enjoying those. And, yeah. and they're familiar with literature. All these things that I think encourage our brain to think differently that we've kind of gotten away from and we've forgotten about. And so, you know, I, I think I already mentioned, hey, how do my classes change? Well, I become more skill-based. At my heart and at my core, I, I wish that I could do a little bit less of that, to be honest with you, and go back to what does it look like to actually build you know, a toolkit and a repository of knowledge to where you're a lifelong learner, you're thinking critically, you're reasoning, you're enjoying what you're learning, and, and turning all of that into, now I'm prepared, I can learn the technical skills. Like, but I have a good base that allows me to kind of think a little bit differently than, than a lot of other people that I'm going up against in right. terms of, of these, you know, unique jobs. You've been a professional educator for a number of years and you work again in colleges. Do you get from your peers, from your colleagues pushback because of the fact that you've enrolled your own kids, not in the public school system, but you homeschool them? Well, I think my family as a whole is relatively countercultural. So you don't see a lot of families anymore with five kids. That's right. You don't see a lot of families that homeschool, although it has gotten like we've seen an increase, especially since the pandemic. Well, they, of, they, they became homeschoolers, whether they wanted right. to or not. That's right. So you started to see a lot of families go, hey, we can do this. I think, you know, I don't necessarily receive a lot of pushback from my from my colleagues, but I do think that they think, you know, some of them think we're weird. And, and, I, <laughs> and I get that. I understand that. But I, I don't necessarily think that they're they're looking at it going how dare you? I think that a lot of people have a misconception of kind of what homeschooling is and how it works. And that influences, you know, kind of kind of how they engage with families that do homeschool. All right. We're going to carry this topic on on the other side of the break. I love this. Michael Strasser is my guest. He is the associate professor of communication at UCF. I'll be right back. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. 
For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Back in the studio with me today is Michael Strasser, Associate Professor at UCF. He is in the Communications Department, and uh, I know that's a wide and varied uh, field for study. I I was a communications major uh, after I changed majors in college. I went that direction because originally I was going to be a teacher. Oh, there you go. And I got into the school system uh, in my freshman year. They had a a class that kind of was aimed at weeding out people that weren't going to finish uh, and stay in education because they were having a lot of people go four years to get their teaching certificate and then decided and only to find out they Mm -hmm. don't like teaching or they don't like the public school system. And that's exactly what happened to me. I thought, you know, this is not going to work. Yeah. You know, I was a, I was a communications major because I like to talk. That's what I always told people. (laughs) Had no clue what I wanted to do was undecided for a long time. And then finally just said, all right, I like to talk. Let's, let's see what this does. I don't know if you remember this from our last time. I used to do radio in college. Yeah, yeah, I, I do had remember a, that. I had a morning show, Morning Momentum with Johnny B and the Straws. And <laughs> and as a college sophomore, I'm up every day That's like at awesome. 4:45 a.m. to prep for this radio show. But, you know, it's it served me well. I think that at times I consider myself to be a generalist in a good way and at times a generalist in a bad way to where people go, you know, with training and consulting especially, well, what can you, what can you help me with? And I go well, a lot of different stuff. And I'll go, okay, well, specifically, and I'll go, ah, oh, it's a great question. Well, and then I'll list off a few things. But yeah, it's 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 definitely different than I did it and when you did it in terms of mm-hmm. what we're trying to prepare students to do and, and think about. You know, in my class that I was taking, which was a speech course no, initially, sure. and the reason I ended up going in communications was my professor for that course pulled me aside one day. And I don't know if he was just through hearing me talk to other people, or if I had actually said something to him uh, that I didn't even remember saying, but he could pick up the fact that I was not happy in my major. Yeah. And he pulled me aside and he goes, I really think you could make it in broadcasting. I really think you should consider a, a career in broadcasting. Uh, and I said, what? How, <laughs> I, what does that look like? What could I do? And And that turned out to be, as you can only imagine, a pretty formidable hour for me as he kind of walked through Absolutely. and what we were doing to, to your point, what we were doing at that stage of the game, what he was doing was he was preparing people for a career mm-hmm. in radio mm-hmm. and television. Now he himself was a TV program director at the CBS affiliate. Hmm. And that's how we all knew him. We thought it was pretty cool that this Absolutely. guy that we all watched on the news was our speech teacher. Yeah. And so he was really, really nice, had a great voice, was from uh, the Midwest, upper Midwest. So he had a little bit of a, of a Chicago-ish sure. type of a brogue about him. But he was awesome, and he would do the weather at night and often. And back then, you, you know, you didn't have meteorologists sure, doing right. the weather. You had announcers. Yep. And so he, he really felt, based on watching me stand up and give speeches that I had an opportunity to do this. And so we, uh, I said, yes. And we kind of went into this thing together. One year from then I changed all my classes and now I'm a sophomore and I'm going into that, uh, second semester. And he invited me to become a teacher's aide. Ah, great. So I got to actually get college credit oh, that's awesome. for teaching radio production. That's great. And I had never been on radio yet. Yeah, wow, good good for him. That's that's encouraging. I think that you know, we can all pinpoint those people whether it's one conversation or a series of conversations that that go, "Hey, you know what? They they set a new trajectory for me. Mine my my goal was law school for the longest time." And I can see that, Mike. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I can but, see you doing so, that. So very long story short though, I ended up having some health issues that I, I was not, I'm not wired. Like my divine creator literally did not wire me to be an attorney. And I, I was actually entering at a church in the town uh, where I went to college. And my advisor from college said, Hey, I need an adjunct professor. Have you ever thought about teaching? I need somebody to teach public, you know, public speaking. And I said, well, you know, what my grade was, and I tell my students all the time, I got a C minus in public speaking. I said, you sure you want me to teach it? And he goes, yeah, I do. I think you'd be great. And I said, well, how much does it pay? And he told me, and I said, well, that's not enough, but I'm broke, so let's do it. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, now I'm looking at that 
you know, 15 years later. And it was that one conversation that put me into a classroom and I loved it and I loved it. And I, I just, I don't know where I would be right now if not for that particular conversation, that nudging. Well, you know, you have that opportunity to be that person, to be that uh, provider, if you will, of that conversation with a lot of people. And I think the key is we never know. I mean, uh, honestly, his his name was uh, Broad, was what, what his air name was, B-R-O-D. Broad did not know that I would even say yes to it. Yeah. And I am sure that your uh, students, that you go there, they look at you. You're an affable, you're friendly, you're, uh, you're entertaining. You, you're that kind of guy. I'm sure they like having you there. But when it comes down to these major decisions, a lot of these kids, again, we've already talked about how the fact that they're really not that comfortable in social settings. So they might not even be comfortable setting and having a deep conversation about their future with a, a professor like you. Yeah, you know, it's this. It's a really good reminder, and hopefully this is encouraging to your listeners. But, you know, I, I think we all... I've been thinking a lot about identity lately because I think one of the one of the themes of scripture that we see is God sets aside a people for himself that are identified with him. Yeah. And you know, union with Christ becomes this this people group, this this people's identity, right? And I think culturally we hear a lot of talk about identity. I think everyone's searching for identity, identity. Yeah, it's what is a revolution right now? Who am I? Right Who am I? Yeah. We've, we've seen that pattern in scripture where God draws out of people for himself. They identify then with that creator. I think it's interesting, though, because, you know, my wife and I joke about this. I'm, I'm encroaching on 40, so I'm probably having some midlife crisis moments. Hopefully they're mild. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I even told her the other day, I said, you know, I just remember I had such I had big dreams. Right. I was I was going to change the yeah. world. And thankfully, she looked at me and she goes. Yeah, you are every day in your home. That's right. And, and every day in your classroom. And I think that that we need to kind of take a step back holistically and think about the fact that that we could we need to shrink our influence. Like this even goes back to the social media conversation. What impact are you having on those fifteen hundred Facebook friends? Yeah. Really, the real impact comes in how you're engaging with your neighbors. And, you know, if you're a parent, how you're engaging with your children, or if you're a grandparent, how are you engaging with your grandchildren and still your children? And I, I think that we just need to step back and go. What does it look like for me to truly shrink my world and actually try to have impact where I'm living, not where I I'm just think I'm existing in whatever space it is, right? Yeah. Whether that's virtual or who knows. Right. And and that was a really good reminder for me to kind of step back and go, all right, it's not a matter of lowering expectations. It's a matter of adjusting expectations and saying, in this moment, what am I called to do? I am called to be a faithful husband. I am called to be a faithful father. I am called to be a faithful church member and I am called to be faithful at my job. And part of that, you know, being faithful is having those conversations with my students where I'm meeting them where they are and saying, Hey, here's what I've noticed in you. Have you, have you thought about this? Um, you know, both professionally and personally Hey, here's one thing that I've, that that's kind of stuck out to me. And if we all did that, like that's, that's widespread impact. (laughs) It is. And, you know, you think back to the origins of discipleship with Jesus and the 12. Mm-hmm. He was not like the head of a multi-national uh, organization. He was pouring his life into 12 people all the way up to the point that he went to the cross. Right. And we all know that one of those kind of failed in the end. That's right. And and so that, that uh, stat right there of pouring yourself into 11 men mm-hmm. who would become known as people who turn the world upside down. Mm-hmm. And that is the impact that you're having. I know you have a lot more than 11 students at UCF, but we just have no idea of the ultimate impact that those hours that you're spending, we just don't realize that those things are really going to have really big bends in that person's life right there. Right. They're going to change things. And even think about the dynamics with the disciples, because who was it that brought Peter to Christ. It was Andrew yeah. who, who wasn't preaching to the masses, right? Wasn't standing on the, teps, the steps of the temple um, preaching and, and 3,000 come to know Jesus that day. Like it was, it was Andrew, soft-spoken Andrew, who brought this one single brother along. And the next thing you know, Peter has widespread impact. Yeah. Um, but God ordained Andrew to bring Peter to Christ. And I, right. I, I think that's a really good reminder too of 
what are like what <laughs> we just need to take a deep breath and go the world is is changing rapidly around us i i'm not going to change the world but i have a sphere of influence that god has placed me in what does it look like for me to be faithful in this moment in this spot where i'm living and i think the key dr- drilling in on your point the key is finding contentment That's right. with that and because a lot of people are just working what they feel are day-to-day mundane type of positions where they're not uh, acutely aware of the co-workers around them or the impact that their life of living their life in a honorable way in a way that brings glory to god in a way that is full of integrity mm-hmm. they have no idea the impact of just that sheer spending eight hours every day next to them them seeing the model they have no idea of the impact that brings right and go go back to your you know your phrase of human skills like what well, how how does the bible call us to be human yeah. what is that supposed to look like and i think you know it, it is a matter you know it, i'm there are many times throughout my days i i mentioned my my kids and my life kind of feeling like a mix of groundhog day and an episode of er of course there are days where i wake up and go wow i'm gonna do this same day again oh my good and i'm exhausted but then there are other days where God goes, no, you're doing, you're doing good things, remain faithful. I think that we cannot let our discontentment paralyze us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that we, we're always going to want something different, something more. I don't necessarily think that's bad. However, it's when the discontentment you know, stops you from doing those things on a regular basis that you are called to do to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that we've kind of lost that a little bit, but social media has a lot to do with that, where we're constantly in a comparison game of, of comparing our lives to those around us. And we all know that social media is inherent in doing that. I mean, it pre- presents the best case scenario for everyone's life. It's like the perfect picture of how, here's how great my life is. And no one else gets to see the downtimes or the stuff that you're going through or the difficulties, they only see what looks like the perfection in motion. Right. And I, I think that was part of, so I mentioned, I only have a, a LinkedIn. This is going to blow your mind. My wife has no social media. She does not have a smartphone. Oh, Oh, that's wow, right. Yeah. That's great. And I, I, I love it. I think it's, it's fantastic. But honestly, part of the reason why I got off of it was because I'm sitting there and I would watch people post pictures of their family and everything looks picturesque. And I'm going, I can't even get my kids to sit still long enough to take a picture that looks semi-decent. And that starts to take root to where you're going, yeah. well, well, am I a bad parent? Cause my kids, uh, you know, aren't photogenic or they're making funny faces. And I, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and our expectation of comparison is not those around us. Like we are not called to compare ourselves to others. We are called right. to compare ourselves to Christ. We will never meet that standard. That's why we need Christ. That's right. And we and need a savior. That's right. That's yeah. it. And and so we live in an age of constant comparison that I do think is unbiblical because we are not called to compare ourselves to those around us. The problem is that we have more tools and methods to compare than ever before. And that's where it infiltrates the soul is because it's just, it's so pervasive, so mm-hmm. pervasive. Wow. I love this. You guys at UCF I'm and the other schools that are in our listening area in Gainesville, my friends at UF and all of the schools in between, they all have this one thing in common. We're working, they are working to prepare young people for a future station in life. Mm-hmm. That's the terminology that... Webster used back in that day. That was the idea of education was to prepare young people for their future station in life. And we are looking at today, I think a lot of young people that have lost that vision, they've lost the way, and they've also lost the opportunity of having heard that from people who are over them. Yeah. You know, you, you hear a lot of employers lament, loudly lament the fact that their employees, their young employees are not loyal and our, and data backs that up. So you know, it used to be, um, used to be as in a decade ago that, that you would have someone leave a job every three to five years. Mike, we're now seeing people leave careers every five, three to five years, yeah, not leave right. jobs. I'm That's talking right. switch entire careers. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's as if you were driving a car and then you decided to buy a boat, not that you're, you're driving a car and you decided to drive a different car. So I, I, I think there's a reality here to where we have lost that semblance of professional loyalty 
But I think, again, there's there's a lot of patterns and things that have gone into that. You know, I, one of my favorite authors is is uh, Wendell Berry, who writes a lot about um, farming communities and, you know, rural communities. And, and that's part of his argument is that we've really lost that deep sense of, you know, of identity in terms of even where we are and where we're from, too, which I think influences our professional journeys as well. So we've lost that feeling of, hey, I'm going to stay here. I enjoy this place. I enjoy my coworkers. I enjoy my supervisors. I don't, I don't need something else. I'm good. Um, and we've, we've really lost that. And I think our students have really lost that too. I agree. Michael Strasser is my guest. Well, one quick question before we take a break, because we're just about up to one. When you look at this, this world in which we're living right now with this whole issue of lostness and kids coming in, uh, you know, they're, they're often coming to school to get just this basic degree and they, they call it, you know, I'm get, getting all my requirements out of the way. Are, are they, are you seeing people come to understand what they would like to do and feeling like that is doable? So one thing that actually is a really interesting trend and I'm, I'm okay with this to a certain extent, you know, I do a little bit of, of training and consulting related to generational differences, and I write about generational differences a lot. Millennials were really the first generation to look at higher ed as a consumer machine. So meaning they kind of came in and said, okay, well, wait a second. I kind of want to change the game a little bit. You're telling me what I want to do, but I'm, I'm going to have a little bit more agency in that. The Gen Zers, so those who came after millennials, kind of have taken that a little bit more so. And we're actually starting to see people, students that are going, I don't necessarily fit within these degree requirements. I want to build my own because I have a very I've seen that too. I have a very specific idea of what yeah. I want to do. I'm cool with that, to be honest with you. Like I think it makes some sense. And and there's a there's a a reasonable argument to be made for why we can create a buffet of courses and look at students and say, Hey, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And let's prepare you to do that. Now, we you run the risk. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges with that. You run the risk of it being the wild, wild west. But I, I do think that there's benefit in looking at a student who does have a, a trajectory and go, I'll help you get there, even though yeah. it might look a little bit different. Well, I wonder where a lot of the sources are, because there's a lot of sources that kids are drawing from, and we never really know that. But uh, boy, I tell you what, that's got to be part of the discernment of a teacher and a professor in a college like what you do to help walk through that with that student and advise them. I mean, the job is tough, I'm sure. My guest today is Michael Strasser. We'll be back with him in just a moment. Michael is the professor at UCF in communications. We'll be right back. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. So enjoy having Michael Strasser in. Michael is the Associate Professor at UCF and he deals with communications. Uh, at the end of our first segment, we talked about uh, homeschooling and, and when we got rolling in the next uh, uh, little bit there, our, our talk today, I, I failed to bring that back up because I want to go back for a moment. We were at, just as a review, I had asked you a question, do you get pushback mm-hmm. from your colleagues? And we, you know, you answered that graciously and I'm grateful for that. Uh, but the homeschooling is is now here, and it's a lot different than what it was when my wife and I moved in 1985 to Florida, and we found ourselves homeschooling out of necessity right. when it was still being looked at by some parts of the country as not even a an ethical thing to do, not even a legal thing to do. Yeah. There had to be sunset laws yep. and all of that stuff to protect homeschoolers. And we had to equip our kids back in that day to know how to answer in case adults would say, well, why aren't you in school Right, right. if you're out during school hours and all of that? Now it's vogue mm-hmm. and, and there's a new respect for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, and, and yet we know that not, not everybody can or should do that. But I mean, I, I'd like for the, that to not to be the case. I, I believe they could do it. Mm-hmm. 
But what would you encourage people, you as a homeschool dad mm -hmm. and your wife with five kids? Now, a lot of people would look at that and it, they get tired yeah, even hearing you do. describe it. Yeah, they do. So what advice would you give people who might be considering that? Maybe even at the start of this school year, it's going rough already. Mm -hmm. And they, they are saying, I wonder if I should ever do that. Yeah, you know, the worst looks we get are in Costco because I let my kids sprint the aisles. And sometimes dad gets a little lax and I let them sprint the aisles, even if there are people in the aisles. And I've got my nine-year-old using, you know, motorized scooters as a, as a hurdle and my three-year-old ducking and diving. So we, we get a lot of looks. We, the Stralsers make our presence felt no matter where we go. But I think in terms of, of the encouragement, I think first it's important to step back and go, why, why do you want to homeschool in the first place? And, and what's, you know, you mentioned it's, it is Vogue. It is popular. It's, it's hip and trendy. And, you know, we do some different uh, some different events with some different groups where we're mingling with people that are on drastically different spectrums in in terms of religious and political beliefs, but have decided to homeschool. And we're going, well, this is really interesting. Um, and so I, I think that there's a level where first you just need to step back and go, what's your reasoning? What's your purpose? Because if your reasoning is, you know. Um, I don't I don't even necessarily know if there is a bad reason, but let's just say your only reason is, uh, well, I don't necessarily like what's going on in, in my child's public school. Yeah. Or the that, curriculum or the yeah. curriculum. Mm -hmm. I would I would I would go, OK, well, you probably need some other reasons because that's not going to get you through the days that are really hard because it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And my wife spends a ton of time thinking about lessons and researching curriculum and trying to, you know, help with that. But I, I do think that there is, because it has become vogue, there is an argument and a mantra pushing back from traditional school systems, public and private alike, where they're trying to make parents feel as though we are not equipped to educate their children. And yeah, not qualify. And I would mm -hmm. say uh, that is bogus. Yeah, <laughs> and, I would that, agree. and that's coming from a professor. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a fallacy. And, and that is not true. And as someone who is probably a, a 70 30 partner in my kids homeschool with my wife like she does a majority of the work but i look at that and go i would put what our kids are learning up against anyone that yeah. i've met in a yeah. traditional school and i'm not saying that like that's that's not an arrogance it's just a we we just have more opportunities to do more things and help them be more well-rounded because our our audience is fewer and we can think with a little bit more purpose we're not we're not looking at the spectrum and saying, yeah. how do we meet in the middle? We're looking at each individual child, which I think is part of what education should be, too. So I, I think that know your reasons, understand why you're doing it in the first place. And then I think, you, you know, number two would be feel empowered. Like, you can do it. You can do it. Do you have to make choices? Like, yeah, does my wife work? No, she does not. So does that impact our spending because we're a one income home? Yeah, you better believe it. But we've made that choice because we feel like it's beneficial and it's yeah. worth it. We did the same. And, and you just have to kind of step back and go, what? And then I, so that's the second, right? You are empowered. You can do it. You just need to make purposeful choices. I think the third is now, what do you want to do? And, and I'm telling you, that's where a bulk of the research comes into play because it was several years before we went, this is the, this is, this is the path for us. And you try some different things and it doesn't work and you go, oh, you know what? I don't love that. But even... I'm probably talking too much on this one point, Mike, but even think about math curriculum for just a second. I, I loved math for a time. Then I got into high school and I had a, I had an instructor who was terrible at explaining why we were doing certain things when it came to math. Oh, that's all the difference very, in the world. Very man. good about formulas, yeah. but I had no clue why I was doing what I was doing. Now I survived, made it all the way to calculus by, you know, cheating on, on friends, papers and all these different things in calculus. This same instructor sat me at a table by myself and above my head wrote unable with an arrow pointing down. Oh, my gosh. Now, I I look back on that now and go, well, hey, you're a jerk and I'm doing OK. I got a Ph.D. But but in that time, how deprecating, first of all, how disparaging, because my style of learning, quote unquote, did not mesh with your style of teaching. He taught to the rock stars and I was not a math rock star. But I think I could have been pretty good if I would have had someone during those yeah. four formative years yeah. explain why. But here's the deal. Let's say let's just give him the benefit of the doubt and say that that maybe he wanted to help me learn. And if he's looking at the textbook that they use or the curriculum that they use and he's going, you know what, Michael, whatever. This is not resonating. We need to change course. He would not have been able to do that. 
So in yeah. some ways I, I might've been lost anyway. So yeah. whereas in our home, we look at that and go, Hmm. All right. We've got a child who thinks this way. There's a specific math curriculum that will help him un, like think according to how his brain thinks. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we don't want to encourage other ways of thinking, but it, in terms of how he's wired, this seems to make sense. And then you can change course and you can do something different with the next kid. And, and that's a, that's wonderful. I think, you know, I think that is exactly right. This cookie cutter mentality that a lot of teachers will teach with it's a, it's a one size fits all. Yeah. And we know that all are not the same size. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work that way. People have different, uh, uh, capacities. People have different styles of learning, like you said, and you cannot just exude one form or one type of training on 30 kids in a classroom. Yeah. And I know some of your auditorium classrooms that you would have probably taught before have a ton of people in right. there. Yeah. There's, there's courses at UCF that are upwards of 1200, which 1200 sitting in one auditorium or virtually online yeah. with a lot of GTAs. And so. and so when you consider, of course, that's at college level. But mm -hmm. when you consider the impact that a, a, a teacher ratio to a student ratio, mm -hmm. when it's one to one mm -hmm. or one to 30, there's a huge difference right. there. The teacher is going to be able to give more of herself to that one child, especially if it's her child. That's right. That's right. And I think that's what's lost on this. I think the... Uh, the ability, the time not wasted impact is huge in mm -hmm. homeschooling. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm so glad that people are are giving homeschoolers a shot now. Mm -hmm. And it is exciting. My own, one of my daughters is homeschooling this year for the first time. Oh, that's great. Good for her. And I, I'm so excited for her. I'm excited to see what's going to happen with her, uh, her student, um, her oldest son. And she has another son that's coming right up. And you know that he's, you know, he's a little one, but... He's going to be picking up stuff right along with it. Yeah. And I think the beauty of homeschool, too, is is this. And this is where I think a lot of parents freak out. You're not married to it. So like if, it, if you if you try it for a year and it doesn't work, like nobody's holding your feet to the fire saying you got to keep going. You got to keep going. You can send your child back to traditional school. They're you're OK. They're not. Gonna, yeah. They're not going to be so far behind that they can't catch up in terms of the standardized or curriculum. But so I think that there's a level where you assume once a change is made. You're married to that change. And we might get to a place, you know, we're, we're planning on homeschooling all of our, all of our children all throughout, but we might have a child that goes, you know what? Traditional, traditional quote unquote school is a, probably a better fit for them. Let's, let's do it. So I just think you just have to kind of step back and everybody, I think collectively on many things, we all just need to take a, a deep breath mm -hmm. <laughs> and kind of not feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and just kind of go, oh, okay, let me have just a minute to think without just making a rash decision and let me just realize that it's going to be okay. So what yeah. does it look like for me? Yeah. You know, I grew up hearing a phrase among people who were in communications, either teaching communications or in involved in radio and TV. And in my experience pretty much bore out this phrase that uh, I was taught years ago by somebody who said, just remember this, communicators are often the worst communicators. <laughs> and I found that to be true. I mean, a lot of my bosses, when I would be in different radio or TV stations, they were not, they were only after one thing. And that was either ratings. When I was a TV weather guy, holy cow, I, I did not like that job at all mm -hmm. because I felt like everything that I did was after the almighty dollar mm -hmm. after, after those ratings points. Mm -hmm. Do you find that still to be the case today? A lot of people think that communicators, what you do professionally, uh, often are not very good at reaching the heart of communication. Well, I, you know, that's a, that's a tough one to answer because I think it is so individualized and depends on the person. But I, I do think collectively, so I already, I kind of railed on, on those young employees, right? But, you know, let's step back and think about it for just a second. You know, my, my, my mammal has a Facebook. How is that not impacting how she communicates on a regular basis? So I think that collectively as a society, we probably have a distorted perspective on what communication is in general. And so, you know, there, there is the other mantra is those who can't do teach. Right. And so communication professors get it from, <laughs> from goodness, both sides. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, those who, Supposedly, our professional communicators can't communicate and those who can't do teach. So we're kind of right in the middle of the storm. But oh, I, wow. I think it's so individualized. And I think our expectations collectively have changed so drastically 
in terms of what we anticipate from others. But I think that it's, it's, there's no magic elixir. It's not rocket science. We want to be heard and listened to. We want to engage others with empathy and understanding. And I think at the end of the day too, we want to have clear expectations. Like yeah. I, I don't necessarily, it's, it's not rocket science, but yeah. I, but I think doing that becomes the rocket science because yeah. it's hard to do. Stephen Covey said one time that people spend 80% of their life doing what they only need to do 20% of their life. Yeah. And the kind of the context of what he was talking about was how that people talk uh, they they need to listen more than they talk. That would be the gist of what he was saying. Are kids today in our colleges, are they good listeners? I don't know if I, I can maybe count on two hands, people who I would legitimately think are good listeners. And I'm not, I, I wouldn't include myself on that. Like, I don't necessarily think I am a good listener because there's a level with listening where your end goal is not listening to then be heard. It's listening to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, you know, collectively, we've kind of lost that mantra. But it is, it, as, as you think about communication curriculum in higher ed, we don't necessarily spend a lot of time talking about listening itself and kind of what, what can we do to become a better listener or how can we actually engage in these steps? Like, you know, part of listening is paraphrasing and repeating back. Hey, you, I, I heard this. Is this what you're saying? Um, or, you know, actively listening as opposed to passively listening. And even, you know, we, we, we have a lot of audio coming at us all the time yeah. where I turn on some things and I go, okay, I'm only listening to this because I know it's noise and I only need to check in and out every once in a while, as opposed to truly listening to it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we've just established some patterns and habits where it's just different, but yeah, I don't, I don't think we do a good job of teaching students, especially how to truly listen. That would be something that uh, it would benefit everybody if we could just learn to listen more. And while we're listening, staying engaged with that's what right. it, we're listening to. That's right. And uh, I think that's, that has a lot to do with comprehension. Michael, what, what is uh, the future looking like for you? Are you? You got any fun projects, writing any new pieces that are coming up right now? Yeah. So I've, I always feel like I have, my wife always says I've always got a thousand ideas happening. So I'm, I'm continuing to kind of develop some online courses that are uh, professional in nature for organizations or individuals. So I think that's kind of fun. Uh, under my legacy communication training and uh, consulting umbrella in terms of what I'm actually writing. So you'll appreciate this in light of all of our stuff we just talked about. I've got a couple different books coming out. Uh, one just on um, internships and preparing students for internships. Wow, we spent cool. a lot of time talking about communication skills and that I've got a four volume. I'm pumped about this one uh, series coming out on actually teaching communication. So how are we supposed to teach communication? And then hopefully, uh, once I can find the time, have a, a business and professional textbook coming out too. So a <laughs> lot of different, a lot of different it's stuff. Like who needs sleep? Who different needs sleep, books in the, in Who needs yeah. sleep? Yeah. Who needs sleep? That's you. You don't. You need time. Well, I do, but I don't, I don't get enough. So I, but I, yeah, I'd kill for a 28 hour day. I oh think. my goodness. Michael Strasser, uh, the professor, my guest today. Thank you for being with me today and talking about all of this. It's so interesting, man. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Mike. Anytime. So oh, I appreciate well, you inviting me. Can't wait for you to come back. This is... Afternoons with Mike. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd. Music.